Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I invite you to turn with me in your copy of Scripture to Galatians chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 21 through 31 during our time together this morning. I have had the joy of uh, being here with you all and worshiping with you a, a number of times now, and it is always a joy. And if you've noticed, we've been working through our way, or working our way through Paul's letter to the Galatians each time that I've been here. So we, are, we will continue doing that this morning. We will pick up right where we left off last time. Uh, church, I just always want to encourage you. Thank you for uh, allowing me to come and worship with you. It's always a joy. Uh, I pray that Galatians is an encouragement to you just as it has been uh, in my life personally. So uh, let's begin today by, by hearing from God's Word, Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. Let me read for us. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask for your help this morning. Give us understanding of the words that we will read. Apply your word to our hearts, and Father, cause us to change. We want to be more like Christ, so would you use your word to do that? Give us grace this morning that we would approach your word with humility and with joy. Make us eager to hear from you. Help us to grow in our love for you, and would you move us to worship you? It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Joe Carter, an editor for the Gospel Coalition, recently wrote an article titled, Survey, Majority of American Christians Don't Believe the Gospel. In that article, Joe goes on to explain that a survey conducted by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University finds that a majority of Christians who describe themselves as Christians, 52%, accept a works-oriented means to God's acceptance. Even those associated with churches whose official doctrine says eternal salvation comes only from embracing Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, as I read that article and, and learned the results of that survey, I was reminded of just how relevant Paul's letter to the Galatians is for us today. It's relevant for very different reasons than it was in Paul's day. Paul writes to the Galatians to clarify what the gospel is because they are starting to believe that they need to put themselves back under the law and, and get and observe Jewish dietary laws and customs and basically become Jews in order to remain acceptable to God. Now, I don't think most of us are facing those exact challenges 
today. But at the root of all that the Galatians were facing was a temptation that wasn't so different from ours. They were starting to shift back to a works-based religion in order to try and earn their salvation. Now, until Jesus returns, this will always be a temptation for all of us because human beings always have a tendency to rely on what we can do in our strength, in our ability. Clearly, the American church is in need of the same message. We are in need of clarity on what exactly the gospel is and what is required of us if we are going to be accepted by God. And that's what Paul addresses in this letter, and it's what he'll be addressing in our passage this morning. Now today we turn to one of those passages that I assume Peter must have been referring to or had in mind when he said some of what Paul writes and some of what's in Paul's letters are hard to understand. This is a difficult passage. Paul's going to take us back to the Old Testament and at times we, we may very well scratch our heads and ask ourselves, what is he talking about? That being said, this is a beautiful passage. It just requires a little bit of work on our part. So I'm going to ask you, uh, from the outset, please just try to stay with me as I, as I try to guide us through what Paul writes here. Please get ready to, to think this morning, to study and to learn, and I think if you can stay with me, we'll be really encouraged and helped by what the Lord has for us this morning. So before we dig in, I just want to try to lay a foundation and hopefully help prepare us to understand what Paul is going to do here in these verses. Paul is going to take the Galatians back to Abraham, the father of the Jews, which he has already done before in this, in this letter. And Paul will do this to highlight the reality that God's promise to Abraham to give him offspring more numerous than the stars was always intended to go beyond the physical Jews. It was always intended to bring others in. Whomever had the, the faith that Abraham had, whoever believed God would be part of this family. And this is exactly what started to happen when Paul preached the gospel to the Galatians. Many of them were Gentiles, and they came to faith in Christ, so they were brought into the family, even though they weren't Jews, because they, they, they became sons of Abraham, because they had Abraham's faith. And that's what Paul talks about earlier in this letter. But then the Galatians became confused. Sometime after Paul left, false teachers came in who started telling the Galatians, that what they were telling them was, your, your faith in Christ isn't enough to make you true children of Abraham. You need something more than that. The Jews believed they were the ones who would inherit God's promises to Abraham because they were his physical descendants. And these false teachers were no different. These guys did actually believe that you needed Jesus Christ, you needed to embrace him as your savior, but they didn't think that was enough. They were telling the Galatians, you need to become like us if you want to become true children of Abraham. In order to be part of the family, you need to belong to Abraham. And the way to do that, according to these guys, was to become a Jew. The Galatians were wanting to make sure they were truly in the family, so they were willing to do whatever it took, even if it meant placing themselves back under the law. So in our text this morning, Paul is going to tell them, if you go back under the law, You'll be removing yourself from the family that you already belong to. Abraham's children are those born by the Spirit. They have been set free from the law. You were born by the Spirit. You have the same faith that Abraham had. That makes you his true children. So don't start living by the flesh now, is what Paul's going to say. That road leads you right out of freedom and back into slavery. But Paul doesn't want them to take his word for it. He wants to show them from the Scriptures that what he is saying is true and that his gospel is confirmed by the scriptures. So by looking at the scriptures, Paul says, we'll see that the true children of Abraham are those born into freedom by the Spirit in fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. 
Or put more simply, the true children of Abraham are those born according to promise. Paul's going to show us this in three sections. In the first section, he's going to tell us about two sons. In the second section, he'll focus on two mothers. And then finally, he'll conclude by turning and applying this to the Galatians. So look with me again at verse 21. It says, tell me, you who, do, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So Paul essentially begins by saying, all right, these people have come in and they've convinced you that you need to rely on the law for your salvation. So let's just talk about for a moment what it means to live under the law. If you really want to entertain that idea, let's just make sure you understand what the law actually says. And when Paul says, do you not listen to the law, that's another way of saying, do you not listen to your own scriptures? In other words, if you understood your scriptures, you'd understand why you don't want to be under the law. So Paul begins a historical argument in verse 22 when he says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. So Paul has pointed the Galatians back to Abraham before in this letter, and that's where he goes again. But this time he's less concerned about Abraham, and he's focusing his his attention on, on Abraham's sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Paul is reminding them of, his, of history, real history that took place and was recorded for us in Genesis chapter 16, 17, and 21. And in addressing the sons of Abraham, he's addressing the very heart of the debate taking place in this letter with the false teachers. Because God made a covenant with Abraham and with his descendants, and because the Jews were Abraham's physical descendants, they considered themselves to be true children of Abraham, as I've already stated this morning. And therefore, the ones, they, they considered themselves to be the ones who would inherit God's promises to Abraham due to their physical descent. We know that Paul wasn't the first to address this. We know that Jesus didn't agree with the Jews about their claim to being Abraham's true children. Because in John chapter 8, Jesus addresses the Jews and he tells them if they abide in his word, they would truly be his disciples and they would know the truth and the truth would set them free. And the Jews responded to this by saying, we are descendants of Abraham and we have never been enslaved to anyone. So why are you talking to us about becoming free? Jesus tells them if you were Abraham's children, in other words, if you were not only his physical children, but also his spiritual children, then you would do what Abraham did. Instead, you're trying to kill me. Paul is now reminding the Galatians of the same thing Jesus was telling the Jews. Don't forget, Abraham had more than one son, and only one of his sons was the true heir to the promise. True descent from Abraham is not physical, it's spiritual. Paul wanted his readers to understand that while Abraham's two sons shared the same father, they were different in two very important ways. First, one was born into slavery, and the other was born into freedom. He says Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. So out of Abraham's two sons, only one of them, Isaac, was free. The other son, Ishmael, was born into slavery. And what he's going to do next is contrast how their births were different. He says, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. In other words, Ishmael was born through human means and human processes. The other son, Isaac, was born supernaturally through God's promise. God made a promise to Abraham to give him offspring. 
So even though Abraham and his wife Sarah were very old, and even though Sarah had never been able to have children, God said, I'm going to give you a son anyways. They believed God, but then they waited, and they waited, and they waited a little bit longer, and finally Sarah suggests to Abraham, look, I've got an idea. Why don't you just go and lie with our servant Hagar? She's young, she can have children, and then we'll finally have our child. And Abraham agrees to the plan. And the result is Ishmael. Abraham and Sarah relied entirely on human, on human means to bring Ishmael into the world. But then 14 years later, when Abraham was 100 years old, God fulfilled his promise to them and Sarah had a baby. And that baby was Isaac. And they knew there was no possible explanation for Isaac's birth other than God's divine intervention. He promised and he delivered. Isaac was born through a promise. He was born through God's supernatural working. And that's the main point Paul is making in these first few verses. He wants us to see the difference between Ishmael, who was born naturally when humans relied on themselves, and Isaac, who was born through God's promise, through God's supernatural power as a result of promise. As we've already seen, those two sons had two mothers, and that's what Paul will focus on next, the two mothers. And this is where he will begin his allegorical argument. Look with me at verse 24 again. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Paul does something interesting here. After giving us the history, he says, this may be interpreted allegorically. Now, what on earth is he saying? Basically, Paul's telling us there are spiritual truths represented in this history, patterns for how God works through, throughout salvation history. So I just want to remind us what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying that the history he just gave us with Abraham and Sarah and their sons, he's not saying that that's not real history. He's not saying that it should just all be taken figuratively. What he's saying is that this is real history, this is important history, we need to remember this history, but as one commentator put it, as we look at this history, I want to show you a symbolic illustration of grace and works. That's what he's going to do. So he begins by saying these two women, referring to Sarah and Hagar, are two covenants. Now he doesn't mean they actually are two covenants. He's saying they represent two covenants. He explains more in the next sentence. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. So these two women represent two covenants, and Paul quickly tells us Hagar represents Mount Sinai or the Old Covenant. Mount Sinai is where Moses went up and he received the law from God and he brought it back down for the Israelites. The same law that God gave to Moses promised blessing for those who kept the law and curses for those who failed to keep the law. Hagar represents Mount Sinai, meaning she represents the Old Covenant, which means she represents self-reliance. Those who try to make themselves right with God through their own efforts, that's Hagar. But look what else he adds in the rest of verse 25. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. What I want us to understand is Paul is flipping the argument of the false teachers on its head in these verses. He says, Hagar corresponds to the present Jerusalem, 
Now, Paul is going to offer another contrast between the present Jerusalem and the heavenly Jerusalem or the Jerusalem above. But when he speaks of the present Jerusalem and connects it with Hagar, he seems to be referring to the false teachers, but also to the Jews of his day as Jerusalem, as the the capital of Israel. And if you follow the connections that he's making here, he's saying Hagar represents the covenant enacted at Mount Sinai, and the Jerusalem of Paul's day was still marked by by the old covenant. It was still marked by law-keeping, and therefore Jerusalem still remained in bondage to sin. And he adds that she is in slavery with her children. Paul wants to draw out the contrast between Sarah and Isaac representing freedom and Hagar and Ishmael representing slavery. Paul is saying that the present Jerusalem is enslaved. What they produce is children of slavery because the law demands obedience, but it does not grant any power to keep what it requires. The false teachers were trying to impose the law on Gentile to produce children of slavery. But now, in verse 26, Paul transitions to the Jerusalem above. He says, but the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. The earthly Jerusalem is enslaved, but the heavenly Jerusalem is free. This is the church. This is all of the people who have Abraham's faith. Everyone, whether Jew or Gentile, who belongs to Christ, they belong to the Jerusalem above, and they are citizens of a free city. One commentator brings some some helpful clarity to what Paul is doing here in regards to speaking about the present Jerusalem and the Jerusalem above. This This is how he puts it. It says, One recalls how often the scriptures describe Jerusalem as sinful, corrupt, fallen, and idolatrous. Reread the denunciations of Jerusalem found in Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. This is the Jerusalem that is damned, the Jerusalem that will be destroyed, the Jerusalem where the temple will be razed to the ground. Then, on the other hand, the prophets foresee another Jerusalem, where there is singing and dancing, where righteousness reigns. This is the Jerusalem God himself brings in, and the descriptions of it are so spectacularly over the top that some of the Jews in the intertestamental period started speaking of it as the heavenly Jerusalem, the Jerusalem from above. That's the Jerusalem Paul has in mind in verse 26. It's the Jerusalem that is above, the Jerusalem that is free, the Jerusalem that is our mother. Paul continues in verse 27 by quoting from Isaiah 54.1 to support everything he's saying here. He says, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. This quotation from Isaiah was talking about the Jews when they were in exile. Israel is compared to a barren woman whose children have been lost to exile and whose husband has left her. But the Lord promises to return Israel to the land. He will have compassion on Israel again, and when they return, they will multiply and they will prosper. This promise was fulfilled partially when the Jews returned to the land. But Paul is seeing something much bigger here. The extended passage in Isaiah 54 envisions a time when Israel's tent would grow large and her offspring would possess the nations. That's the language that's used. Paul is saying that what God used, what God promised to Abraham in Genesis, that his descendants would inherit the earth and that he would become the father of a multitude of nations. And what the prophet Isaiah prophesied about Israel's tent expanding and growing large All of that has happened through the gospel of Jesus Christ as the Gentiles have been gathered into the people of God. The same, the pattern in Sarah's life 
can be seen in the conversion of the Gentiles. Sarah was barren. She was not expected to give birth. Apart from God's intervention, it would have been impossible for her to have any children. It would have made far more sense from a human perspective for Ishmael to have been the child of promise. But it was a miraculous child. It was Isaac who was the true fulfillment of God's promise. And now Paul is saying the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham and the fulfillment of Isaiah 54 can be seen in the conversion of Gentile Christians. They are the, chil- the children of the Jerusalem above. They were children that no one expected, and yet that's how God works. He gives new life where there seems to be no life. Through a miracle, the Gentiles have been brought into the people of God. They are true children of Abraham, citizens of the heavenly Jerusalem, and they are free. So Paul has put a lot of things together for us in these verses. Hagar is a picture of the old covenant and of the earthly Jerusalem where Israel's life under the law was marked by slavery to sin. As Paul has said before in this letter, the law does not free us from sin, it enslaves. To be a child of Hagar is to be enslaved. But on the other hand, Sarah is a picture of the new, Jeru- of the new covenant and of the heavenly Jerusalem. She is a picture of freedom. To be a child of Sarah means you belong to Christ. God has granted you supernatural birth through the Spirit, and you have been brought from death to life. You are now a part of the heavenly Jerusalem filled with everyone who has Abraham's faith. Whether black or white, rich or poor, Jew or Gentile, if you belong to Christ, then you belong to Sarah, and you are a true child of Abraham. Now Paul wants to drive this point home as clearly as possible to the Galatians. So in verse 28 to the end, he will turn to the Galatians and now apply this directly to them. So remember, he has said that the true children of Abraham are those born according to promise. He showed us that while Abraham had two sons, Isaac, only Isaac was born according to promise. And he showed us that everyone who has Abraham's faith, whether Jew or Gentile, they are descendants of Abraham, descendants of Isaac, born according to promise. So now in the third section, Paul will tell the Galatians, you are children of promise. Look at verse 28 with me. Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. This is what he wants them to understand. But he took some time to show them his work so they could understand from the scriptures that they, not the false teachers, are the true children of Abraham. That the promises, the inheritance belong to them already because they belong to Christ. And now he will make more explicit the destination of the false teachers and everyone who follows the way of Hagar and Ishmael. In verse 29, he says, But just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. And we're not told much detail about the event, but in Genesis 21, we learn that Isaac is mocked or laughed at by his brother Ishmael. Ishmael would have been seven years or so older than Isaac. Seeing Ishmael as a rival to her son Isaac, Sarah demands that Hagar and Ishmael be removed from their household. Abraham hesitates at first, but but then he sends them away just as Sarah requested. The inheritance, it belonged only to Isaac, not to Ishmael. Only Isaac was the son of the promise. And this is where Paul just blows up the argument that the false teachers were making. Paul takes verses they would have used to show that the Gentiles are children of Hagar that are cast out. And Paul says, no, no, no. 
you've, you've got it completely wrong. You are the children of Hagar, and you will not receive the inheritance, speaking to the false teachers. Now, there is some debate as to exactly what Paul was intending for the Galatians to do when they read this. Some argue that Paul is telling the Galatians it's time to send the false teachers packing. They are, in some sense, persecuting the Galatians, just as Ishmael persecuted Isaac, so they need to kick them out and send them on their way, cast them out like Hagar and Ishmael. It's difficult to know for sure. I think it's definitely possible that that's what Paul intended for them to do. At the very least, we know Paul is showing the Galatians that they already belong, that they are children of the promise because they belong to Christ. And they should not listen to the false teachers because the false teachers are, in fact, the children of Hagar. They don't want to start relying on the law for salvation because if they do that, they won't receive the inheritance. So Paul's message to them is, stay where you are. Don't add anything to faith in Christ. You don't want to be children of Hagar. You want to be children of Sarah. So listen to the scriptures because unlike the false teachers, you are the children of promise. And that's what Paul reiterates once more in verse 31. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Just remember, the false teachers have been telling the Galatians, we're really in. We're the ones who belong, and you, Galatians, you are the outcasts, unless and until you become like us. So Paul is emphatically saying that's absolutely backwards. Galatians, you belong. It's the false teachers who are outside of the promise. They are Ishmael. They belong to Hagar. So we've covered a lot of ground, but it was important for us to work hard in this text to follow Paul's argument, so hopefully you're still with me. Now I want to give us five implications that I see in these verses. So number one, let's be students of Scripture. In this passage, Paul assumes his readers have a good grasp of their Old Testament, and I think that's why it can be such a difficult passage for us to understand Sadly, I think most of us would acknowledge we just don't know our Bibles and particularly a lot of our Old Testament as well as we would like to. So we have a hard time grasping what is going on here. In his kindness, God has given us his word. We have his promises in scripture. Let us ask that the Lord would give us a hunger for his word and that we would seek to be students of the Bible. Let us find rhythms in our lives where we have a regular diet of reading and prayer, times where we simply take our time and meditate on the scriptures. Recently, I've been reading some of a book uh, that uh, talks about Hudson Taylor, one, uh, a missionary and his son, and talking about Hudson Taylor um, would describe how his father would always be up reading and praying from around 2 a.m. to 4 a.m. because he knew that was a time where he could be completely alone with God and undistracted. And his son can remember just seeing the candle light up in the middle of the night because his son was studying and reading and spending time with the Lord. I don't know about you, but that's, that's convicting for me. And I wonder, are we that concerned about being alone with God and completely undistracted? Let us ask God to help us remove the distractions and to build good rhythms into our lives and to learn to be disciplined so that we can be students of God's word. And I can promise you, at the end of our lives, we, we won't wish we had spent more time watching television or binging Netflix or more time on social media. We won't regret the time that we spend in the word, we should think of it more like the physical food that we cannot go a day without. Even more than physical food, we need spiritual food, and we do not want to be spiritually malnourished. One of the reasons we need to study the scriptures is so we will be ready to battle temptation. So secondly, be alert to your tendency to revert to self-reliance. 
In verse 23, Paul reminds us of how Ishmael was born. His birth came about through self-reliance. When Abraham and Sarah couldn't see any way that God could possibly fulfill his promise to them, what did they do? They took matters into their own hands and did things their own way. We need to recognize we will all be tempted to do this in the Christian life. Rather than waiting on the Lord and trusting in his promises, we will face the temptation to turn to what we can do in our strength and in our timing. It's no coincidence that every other religion of the world depends upon what humans can do to try and earn God's acceptance. This is what comes natural to us. This is why so many people who call themselves Christians today are confused about the gospel. The natural bent of our hearts is to to do it ourselves. Yet God calls us to depend upon him through prayer, to rely on the Spirit and to trust him even when we can't see how or when he will bring something to pass. This is why we need to be in the scriptures so we can preach the gospel to ourselves and preach it to each other. We, we have to do that as Christians. That's what the Christian life is all about. God uses the proclamation of the gospel to save us, and he uses the proclamation of the gospel in the church and the lives of believers to persevere us. We need to ask God to increase our faith. Our God is the God who speaks things into existence that do not exist until he gives the command. He works the miracle of salvation in unbelieving hearts. He is the God who raised Jesus from the dead. He commands the storms. He walks on water, and the hearts of earthly kings are like streams of water in his hands that he turns wherever he will. Don't you think he can handle the problems that your family might be facing right now? Don't you think he can handle the problems that our nation and our world are facing right now? He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so let us trust in his promises rather than in our own feeble efforts. If we're going to rely on God and not on ourselves, we must be people of prayer. In our efforts to fight our sin, let's depend on God and pray big prayers asking for him to work supernaturally, giving us victory over our sin in ways that only he can deliver. As a church, let me encourage you to depend upon God and pray big prayers, asking him to do great things in and through this church that this church could never do on its own, understanding that through God all things are possible. Our view of God can be so small, can't it? God can grant life where there is no life. He can raise up children of Abraham from rocks if he wants to. So let's ask him to to use this church and other churches in Austin to bring many more into the family. Which brings us to number three. Ask God to fulfill his promise to bless the nations through your proclamation of the gospel. These verses provide us with a beautiful picture of salvation and a beautiful picture of how God is growing his church through the proclamation of the gospel as people from all nations, all backgrounds, come to faith in Christ. If you belong to Christ, you are part of what God is doing to fulfill his promise. So rejoice that God has fulfilled his promise in saving you. And now ask him to continue to fulfill his promise as you proclaim the gospel to others. It really is amazing to think about the role we get to play in what God is doing. So brothers and sisters, let me encourage you, don't take this role lightly. Don't take it for granted. This is how God has designed it to work. He saves us and then he grows his church through us. If you aren't currently sharing the gospel or or praying about an opportunity to share the gospel, let me encourage you, just identify one person, one person in your life. Start praying for that person and then be intentional. Find opportunities. Ask the Lord to give you opportunities to share Christ with them. Number four, Rejoice that the Lord loves to give grace to the weak and helpless. 
Paul reminds us that the gospel is for those who know they have no hope of gaining acceptance with God without his grace. In Sarah and Hagar, God looks down on two women, one who is young and fertile, the other who is old and barren, and he chooses to save the world through the barren one. And through her family would come another son, born to another woman, who would, have come, who would have had no expectation for bearing children because she was a virgin. And through that son, God blesses all the people of the earth just as he promised. God's grace has always worked this way. God welcomes the weak, the helpless, those who don't naturally think they have any reason to be included in God's family. Those are the ones he's pleased to bring into his family. And at the end of the day, that's all of us, isn't it? If you feel weak or helpless today, be encouraged. God loves to give grace to the weak. If you feel unlovable today, be encouraged. God loves to pour out his grace regardless of how unlovable you might feel. If you feel like you have nothing to offer God, be encouraged. God loves to give grace to the empty-handed. If you feel like you've made such a train wreck of your life that you find yourself at the bottom of a pit this morning, be encouraged. God loves to give grace to the desperate. If you need help and mercy, and if you are desperate this morning, be encouraged. God loves to give grace to those who acknowledge they are desperate for his grace because they simply cannot do it in their own strength. And finally, number five, you belong. There are a lot of people who think they belong for a lot of different reasons. What Paul is saying in these verses is that no one can claim to belong to Abraham unless they belong to Christ. That's what we see here in this, in this text, in these verses, that no one can claim to belong to Abraham unless they belong to Christ, but you belong to Christ, which means you are children of promise. When you know you're already accepted into the family, there's immense freedom in that. Can you imagine living in such a way that every day you feel like you have to perform or earn God's favor, and at any point you could fall out of favor with him? Brothers and sisters, that's slavery. And sadly, some of you are probably experiencing that, that kind of slavery right now. But knowing that you belong to God, knowing that he has accepted you despite all of your shortcomings, all of your failures, and knowing that he will always accept you and that nothing you can do will change his mind, that provides a serious amount of motivation to love God, to obey God, and to live for his glory. Not because you need to earn anything, but because he's accepted you, knowing that you could never earn his acceptance in the first place. We also need to understand that the freedom we enjoy as Christians is the freedom to love God and to obey him. Believers have been joined to Christ and we love Christ. Our old self has been crucified with Christ and now a new person has been born and Christ lives in us. We have new desires and we seek to please God. Of course, we will all still continue to struggle with sin, but our bondage to sin has been broken through Christ and now we enjoy a new freedom. We have the Spirit what we want to do is actually to love the Lord and to please him with our lives. Ironically, in the Galatians situation, out of their desire to make sure they belonged, they were willing to go back under the law. And by doing that, they would have removed themselves from the family that they so desperately wanted to belong to. Just like the Galatians, we will always have to remind ourselves, it's not what we do that keeps us in the family. It's what Christ has done for us what God has done for us in Christ and for us to continue to cling to Christ. So we must cling to him by faith. We must continue to trust in God's promise and by doing so, we will persevere in the, tr in the, in the truth and we will remain children of promise. 
As we close, let me encourage us as we go out this week, take some time and think about the inheritance that is ours in Christ. In Revelation 21, we are given a glimpse of the heavenly Jerusalem. This is what we read. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. Brothers and sisters, as children of Abraham, this is our inheritance. We have Christ and we will dwell with God forever. As citizens of a free city, the unique calling, calling given to us is to keep our eyes fixed on our hope of what awaits while at the same time living in such a way that we display what God is like here and now, what his kingdom is like to this present world. Our hope lies in the supernatural power of the gospel to redeem weak and broken sinners like ourselves. It's this gospel that makes us children of the promise. So walk in freedom because you belong to Christ. God has accepted you and you can rest in what Christ has done on your behalf. Let's pray. Father, so many of us here this morning, we we know these things to be true. We know that we don't earn our salvation. We know there's nothing we can do and there's nothing in us that gains acceptance with you. We know that it's only through trusting in your son, yet we, even though we know these things to be true, we don't always live like it. Too often, instead of resting in what Christ has done for us, we seek to perform in such a way that you would accept us. Father, remind us that you are the God who intervened in the hearts of your sinful people. Were it not for your willingness to miraculously give us new life, we would still be dead in our sins. So, Father, overwhelm us with your grace and your love and your mercy in Jesus Christ. Father, cause us to walk in freedom, knowing that you have saved us, not because of anything we've done, but because of your unfathomable love for us. It's in Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.